Advisors, a podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we've got a little different show for you. We're featuring two guests in a discussion of one of the hottest topics on Wall Street, ESG investing. We'll find out what that means, how it can benefit your clients, and where to go to get started coming up in the next half hour. Fortunately, our guests today are eminently qualified to clarify this timely topic. Carl Noble, Chief Investment Officer for Pinnacle Advisory Group in Columbia, Maryland. Carl joined Pinnacle in 2001 after graduating with honors with a bachelor's degree in finance from the University of Maryland. A senior investment analyst, he was responsible for a variety of different research and analytic efforts, ranging from broad macroeconomic topics to individual security selection issues. He helped develop Pinnacle's tactical asset allocation investment strategy from its inception in 2002. Carl was appointed Chief Investment Officer in 2020 and will be responsible for all of Pinnacle's portfolios operating within the platform. He leads Pinnacle's investment team. Soro Locatelli joined Pinnacle full-time in January 2011 after competing an internship with the firm over the previous summer. He holds a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in finance from Bocconi University in Italy. As Pinnacle's Director of Quantitative Research, Saro is primarily responsible for the management and development of Pinnacle's in-house quantitative research models, which supports the firm's investment process. In addition, Saro is an integral part of Pinnacle's investment team, which is responsible for the firm's asset allocation and security selection decisions. Saro is a CFA charter holder and a certified financial risk manager, and holds a sustainability and climate risks certificate as well. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure to have you here with us today. It's good to be with you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Carl, I want to start us off with the most basic of questions. What exactly is ESG investing? So ESG investing stands for environmental, social, and governance. Um, And this is these days really being used as almost a catch-all term for what's also uh, known um, as impact or socially responsible investing. Um, and one of the reasons this is starting to become more prominent as an issue and as an investment strategy is that there seems to be a growing number of investors who are interested in not only achieving a suitable rate of return on their portfolio to achieve their longer term financial objectives, which is pretty standard for a lot of folks. Um, but increasingly they're also interested in aligning their portfolios with their own personal values and feeling like, Um, having that sense that their portfolios are also helping to make a difference in terms of how they're invested. So, um, you know, ESG can range across a number of different broad categories. Uh, Just taking the E as maybe one of the more prominent examples currently environmental, you know, certainly the issue of climate change has uh, increasingly gotten a lot of attention. Um, And there are a growing number of investments related to different uh, types of companies that are involved in various solutions to try to tackle that type of issue. So um, that's just you know a very broad brush uh, overview of what ESG investing is all about. Sora, what's your thoughts on all this? You know, I think uh, you know Carl uh, gave a pretty good introduction here. Um, I, I think maybe if we want to provide a little bit more details compared to some other types of um, sustainable or responsible investing. Uh, ESG investing specifically focuses on three distinct uh, dimensions of uh, sustainability. Um, as the name itself implies, the environmental dimension, social dimension, and governance, which in this case stands for corporate governance. So just to give you 
a few examples of um, you know w- the types of factors and indicators that uh, uh, we're looking for within each area. Um, if, on the environmental side, um, this has to do with how the company is impacting uh, you know the environment in which it operates. So typical measures that uh, ESG investors look for are things like uh, carbon emissions, uh, energy efficiency, waste management. Uh, These are often measured uh, relative to industry peers uh, to adjust for the fact that, um, you know, a a materials or industrial company is typically going to have a different, um, you know, carbon emission profile compared to a technology company. Um, On the social dimension, uh, things like labor standards and human rights, um, also very, uh, you know, applicable to to today's world, uh, data protection and privacy. So, how well uh, the company is um, is um, is handling data and um, guaranteeing the privacy of its clients. Um, and then, finally, on the corporate governance side, um, some of the things that are typically used are, um, you know, the composition of the board of directors is a good example. Um, um, executive compensation, uh, how that is set, whether um, whether it is set fairly and, and um, you know, not by the, uh, the executive themselves. And so, yeah, these are just a few examples of the, the types of measures that are used to, um, to try to come up with an objective uh, assessment of how a given company is faring across these three um, dimensions of, um, of, uh, of sustainability. Wow, that's a lot to consider. Now, ESG is not necessarily brand new. I can think of, of companies like Ben and & Jerry's and even Amazon in its inception have always touted themselves as being environmentally friendly and sustainable in terms of environmental impact. What do you think is fueling the recent popularity of these types of investments? Is it the political climate? The fact that these instruments are more widely available? Is it the rising number of individual investors or is it something else? This is just the latest fad that's going to fizzle out or has this got legs to it, do you think? That's a good question. I think to answer the last part first, uh, a no, we don't believe this is an investment fad. And and one of the reasons is, uh, well, a couple of reasons are, you know, to your point that ESG investing really has been around for quite a long time, dating back for several decades, according to, uh, you know, uh, according to some folks. And, you know, this has really evolved over time to, you know, what it's grown into today. But, you know, I think that one of the big differences, as you alluded to, is kind of the the, the way that some of these previously sort of maybe almost abstract ideas, people were talking about climate change back in you know the 1960s and 70s and pointing many years into the future and saying it's going to be a big problem. Well, here we are in 2021 and you know we are seeing an increasingly number of severe climate events that are impacting actually impacting people's lives. So I think you've gotten to this place where all of a sudden some of what previously were maybe abstract big picture ideas, that you know maybe for that reason weren't fully appreciated all of a sudden are becoming so and so i think you know not only from an investment standpoint but just from a societal standpoint there's a lot more attention and energy and, and focus on addressing these types of issues and so that has kind of funneled down to as we talked about people being more interested and in trying to be part of the solution through their investments as well so um, you know, I think this is very much reflected in the fact that you've seen a an explosion in the rate of asset growth in these types of investments just over the last handful of years. 
So again, while this may have existed in certain forms for a long time, it's really had been under the radar where, um, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of whether it was the diversity of the availability of these types of funds for people to, to actually invest through or just the amount of assets that were in these funds. It didn't really exist for a long time, but that's changed in a big way over the last few years. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. And, you know, in a way, the flows, the huge flows that we're seeing to these types of investments speak for themselves. But um, I think another uh, good way to appreciate uh, the, the shift in um, you know, the perception about some of these um, some of these issues that has occurred over the last few years uh, is to look at some surveys. And so I think a pretty good example is um, there's a longstanding poll from Gallup that looks at um, basically asking people whether the issue um, of global warming is either, um, you know, generally exaggerated or generally underestimated. And as recently as um, 10 years ago, um, twice as many people believed it believed global warming to be generally exaggerated as opposed to being underestimated. And then uh, in 2019, uh, those numbers basically flipped with twice as many people thinking that global change um, is being underestimated. And um, so, so, you know, I think clearly we're, we're witnessing a shift in perception here. Um, and um, obviously um, there is a, a generational component to this. Uh, because younger Americans um, tend to be more concerned about climate change, uh, and uh, which makes sense because they're the, they're going to be the ones to be the most affected. Um, and so, another interesting poll from 2018 told us that um, about 70% of adults aged between 18 and 34, so the so-called uh, millennial generation, 70% uh, of them say they worry about global warming. Uh, that's compares to only uh, 56% for people aged 55 or older. So um, I think a big part of the story is that um, there's a younger generation of investors that um, are more sensitive to these issues. And they are, uh, you know, if you think about millennials, 18 to 34, they're just entering their peak earnings years. And they're also um, poised to inherit a significant amount of wealth from, from older generations. Um, and so they're, they're going to be the ones driving demand for uh, investment going forward. And, and that's why I think, you know, fund providers and, and, and you know, wealth managers need to pay attention to uh, some of these dynamics. So it has a lot to do with cultural awareness and, and progressiveness uh, pervasive in the age group that's, that's coming up into the investing world as much as anything. It appears clear that with that kind of inflow, retail investors can probably invest in ESG companies, but can you do it on your own by just buying stocks or are there other asset categories that are also ESG? Are bonds available or funds or ETFs? What's out there? So people can certainly go out and try to find uh, companies that are individual companies on their own that are aligned with these, these types of values. Um, as usual, doing kind of the, let's call it the bottoms up type of work like that on their own is, is might be a little bit um, too much of a challenge for, for a lot of folks who maybe don't have that kind of time. But what I, what I would say is I mean, the, the other aspect of that is that some companies are better at disclosing this type of information than others. Um, just to give you one example, for instance, if you go to google.com, the search engine, search engine that everyone uses, at the very bottom there of the screen, it says that they've been carbon neutral since 2007. You know, so Google is the type of, you know, sort of uh, 
more modern, innovative type company that clearly was thinking about these types of things for for quite a while, and they disclosed that very easily. You know, other companies, um, it might not be so clear in terms of um, on the surface whether or not they actually are abiding by uh, some of these principles that people are interested in when they're when they're making these types of investments. So, um, all of that is is a, a long winded way of saying that I think for most retail investors. It probably does make more sense to go look for whether it's a, an actively managed fund um, and or increasingly these days, uh, some type of, of index based ETF that, you know, is kind of doing that work for you. You know, so an, an actively managed fund has a manager that is really uh, making sure that uh, the companies that end up in the portfolio are abiding by ESG types of standards. Um, and w- what we've seen uh, a recent evolution is a growing number of, of passive indexes that have been created that have their own sort of screens and filters um, with different uh, metrics and criteria that you know result in a diversified portfolio uh, of companies that you know again are are putting more emphasis on ESG types of standards. So you know I, I think for most retail investors that would make more sense. Uh, to your other question, yes, it is interesting to see that. Uh, this is all of a sudden being applied to other asset classes and, and bonds specifically is one where you are seeing more, whether it's green bond funds or just, again, sustainable types of bond uh, issuance out there. You know, it, it could be something like, you know, a financing for a renewable energy project or something like that. So, um, you know, all of you're starting to see more of that come to the market and end up, you know, an, enough of it is, exists now to turn it into funds that people can invest in in a diversified way. Now, you guys have worked on this a little bit. Can you give me uh, an example of one of these? Uh, sure, I can um, I can take this one. So I think most investors are going to be familiar with the S&P 500 index. And one very common ETF that invests in the S&P 500 is SPY. Uh, so we can compare SPY to um, an ESG version of the S&P 500. There's an ETF, the symbol is SNPE. Uh, which invests in, and replicates the S&P 500 ESG index. So, you know, if we can if we compare the two, basically S&PE has the goal of targeting a similar industry exposure as the S&P 500, so as to be pretty highly correlated with the uh, with the S&P 500, while putting an emphasis on companies that have a um, you know that have a higher ESG score that fare better according to ESG metrics. So one thing that stands out immediately is that the S&P 500, as the name implies, um, has 500 holdings. Uh, S&P, the ESG version, has only 300, as um, you know, 200 of them are being excluded. You know, one thing that the CTF does, as an example, it excludes companies with business involvement in, uh, in tobacco, uh, weapons, and coal, and then uh, for the, the companies that remain are ranked uh, based on their ESG performance and the fund invests in the top 75% of each industry by market capitalization. Uh, so it, it results in a very similar um, you know, industry allocation as the S&P 500, but it puts a lot of emphasis on companies that score better on, uh, based on ESG dimensions. Now you mentioned the uh, score and, and how they fare in, in certain metrics. Are there published standards in terms of what makes a company fit the ESG model overall? Or does it depend on how the company wants to position themselves? Can they creatively write themselves into an ESG picture and not really be that? Well, to your first question, there's not a single um, you know, common standard for ESG investing. 
Um, there are many different organizations and institutions that have come up with their own methodology. And I would say most of them are pretty similar, but um, each uh, you know, index provider or fund provider is going to offer its own uh, methodology um, and, and use that to create its funds. Uh, a lot of them uh, kind of leverage on the same work that has been done by uh, large institutions, for instance, the, um, the the UN Global Compact is, um, you know, they maintain a database uh, measuring how companies are doing in relation to pre- predetermined sustainable development criteria, and um, a lot of institutions rely on 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 that database. But uh, th- th- this is just one example. There's many different ones out there. Another example is MSCI, uh, Morgan Stanley Capital International. Uh, they're actually the world's largest provider of ESG, ESG indices uh, with over uh, 1,500 uh, between equity and fixed income ESG indices. But, you know, even, you know, within MSCI, within the same organizations, there's many different flavors for how and, and different methodologies for how they implement uh, ESG criteria and ESG investing. Um, and, um, so, you know, investors really need to do their homework to go beyond just the ESG label to, uh, to really understand what they're investing in. Well, Carl, let's talk about that homework for a little bit. Is this type of information available to the average retail investor, or is this only tucked away in, in corners where professional investment brokers and analysts know where to find it? No, there, there's a lot of information that's publicly available. And this is a, an area where you're, you know, that, the information being provided is growing sort of seemingly as rapidly as, as the asset growth that that you're seeing out there. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, there are well-known sort of financial analytics companies like a Morningstar, for instance, that have certainly devoted more resources to providing information related to ESG. They have something called Sustainalytics these days. Uh, Swirl just mentioned MSCI as a big index provider uh, who's doing their own screening. I would say from our standpoint, you know, we are and had have been for a long time pretty heavy ETF investors in terms of how we manage our portfolios here at Pinnacle, and um, you've certainly seen those particular companies, the providers, some of the, some of the larger ETF providers, um, really make a commitment towards not only providing ESG focused options uh, in, in terms of uh, on the product side, but they've really expanded uh, sections of their website to create sort of a, a vast resource of, of educational material for people to to read up on this topic and, and to get a lot more information that way. So, you know, th- those are usually uh, some of the go-to places for us as we're looking for more information um, related to this subject. Um, and I would encourage people, you know, because it is free uh, to, to check out some of those. Wow, that's an incredible way to go about it. And I'm glad that resource is free because it sounds like if they wanted to charge, they could get whatever they want for it. Um, let's talk about uh, a discussion real briefly about what the advantages are of, of ESG positioning for the issuing company. I mean, if you're ESG, does that make you more profitable in the long run? I think it's it, it's becoming increasingly widespread, uh, the view that uh, ESG issues and ESG risks are fundamentally just another source of investment risks. And, um, and, and that they should be taken into consideration alongside traditional metrics when evaluating an investment. Uh, you know, I think recently um, we had uh, Larry Fink, the, the CEO of BlackRock, he wrote an open letter to CEOs 
uh, making exactly this point. And um, he vowed to actively use BlackRock's voting power to uh, make sure that companies are acting in a way that is consistent with, uh, you know, advancing on the climate change front. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, even large institutional investors beginning to appreciate the fact that they need to pay attention to ESG risks. And as a result, investors have been demanding more transparency from companies um, and, and greater disclosure as to how they you know, stack up uh, along some of these dimensions. So going back to your question, um, you know, I don't know if it if if um, you know ESG makes companies more profitable. It could make them less risky, or at least it could make them um, cause them to be per- perceived to be less risky by investors, uh, which um, could have the side effect of lowering their cost of capital. Generally speaking, investors like transparency. They like to understand what they're investing in, uh, and so. Um, it's very likely that um, a company that is more uh, open and transparent about certain issues and how it plans to address them in the future may have an easier way raising money on the market and maybe doing so at a better at a better price. So I think um, indirectly that's something that could help companies. Yeah, and Dave, I, I would just quickly add also that there's there's an issue related to reputation risk these days too. So especially in this era of social media where it's uh, a lot easier for you know consumers to essentially sort of band together and put pressure on certain companies that co- companies have to be very aware of these issues you know uh, whether it's um, you, know, you know so I, I, the point there is I, I don't think companies can really pay lip service and say that they're they're you know they're intending to do this and not really follow through because you know people will be quick to, to call that out. It's online. Like I said, people have ways of, of putting pressure on companies either through, you know, let's product boycotts or whatever it might be to ensure that they are following up on, on this sorts of thing. And so that that can certainly cost uh, companies on the bottom line if, if they run afoul of, of, you know, some of maybe their own principles that they're talking about. And then, like I said, not following through on. So that's, I think that's another really important issue these days in terms of just the, the perception and, and the reputation risk, like I said, uh, that, that companies need to be very aware of. So you can't really just fake it till you make it. You've got to really live and love this stuff to to make it work. All right. We're on a break. When we come back, we're going to learn about the benefits and risks involved with ESG investing and how you can get your clients involved. We'll be right back. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need. With a range of outsourced options and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201 919-4838. And we're back with Carl Noble, CIO at Pinnacle Advisory Group, and Sara Locatelli, Pinnacle's analyst and sustainability expert, talking about ESG investment strategies that can help your clients do well by doing good. Sara, from a returns perspective, what are the benefits for the retail investor to go with ESG's equities or funds? Are they less volatile? Are they higher growth? 
more upside potential, reduced risk? What makes them so attractive beyond the social component? So as we look at the performance track record of some of these funds, I would say the historically the evidence is mixed. As, as we said earlier, um, you know, some of these funds go back a long time, but um, uh, we only have a, a, you know, a pretty good track record at the index level going back about 20 years. And uh, since then, um, in the U.S. specifically, ESG indices have trailed uh, non-ESG equivalent indices by a slight margin. Uh, so... For instance, looking at the MSCI USA index, uh, it has underperformed by uh, 0.4% per year on average, uh, which is a relatively you know, small amount considering that uh, the, the broad market has done uh, spectacularly well over this time frame. The ESG equivalent has also done really, really well, just slightly less, to, less so than, than the non-ESG counterpart. But um, this is uh, in the U.S. When we look internationally, uh, we actually see better results from, from ESG uh, funds, both in developed markets and in, um, and in uh, emerging markets. Uh, here, the data only goes back to 2007, the, the data that we have available. Um, and we're seeing ESG um, in the season funds actually outperforming um, their non-ESG counterparts by between 0.8 and over 3% a year, depending on whether we're looking at developed markets or, or emerging markets. So I would say, you know, when we put it all together from a global standpoint, ESG funds have performed very close to non-ESG funds. So, um, you know, they have not done better, but there's also there also hasn't been any cost to investors that have chosen to uh, take uh, you know, ESG issues into consideration when investing their money. Um, and uh, you asked about volatility. I would say the volatility also has been pretty close to non-ESG equivalents. And um, some of these funds are, most of them nowadays are designed to correlate pretty highly with the non-ESG equivalents. And so it is not a surprise that uh, both their performance and their volatility uh, would be very, very close. And we've heard a lot of good news about these funds. Uh, Carl, is there a potential downside for retail investors if you shift your entire portfolio to ESG assets? Well, I, I think people would just need to keep in mind that when they do that, they, they really need to keep that the longer term thought process in mind in terms of the, the reason why they're doing that, again, is to better align their portfolio uh, with their own personal values, whatever whatever those might be, um, and I say that because over shorter term performance timeframes, um, you you could get tracking error related to those indexes. Soro was just talking about performance a little bit. He also described earlier that even though they are creating these indexes that align pretty closely, that there are there can be significant differences in terms of the underlying construction, whether it's sector weightings or you know just the companies that are owned. Uh, relative to you know normal broad market indexes like the S and P, and so it's kind of interesting too. Going back to his comments about performance, the last couple of years you have seen ESG start to perform better. Um, some specific funds that we are well aware of have actually done phenomenally well that are targeted into specific areas like clean energy and solar, for instance. And what's interesting is that I think part of that is driven by a link to a broader theme in the markets. You know, we spend a lot of time looking at. Uh, the behavior of sectors and industries just from a from a general standpoint in terms of how we 
manage our strategies here at Pinnacle. Um, and in doing so, you know, the last few years have been defined by growth sectors, largely driven by companies in the technology uh, sector, for instance, that have really been dramatically outperforming. And it just so happens that right now, anyway, ESG, a lot of the ESG type funds end up being overweighted in those types of sectors because those are kind of the more forward thinking and innovative, innovative, excuse me, companies that are, like I said, at the moment, paying more attention to these types of issues. So as these funds and indexes get constructed, like I said, at least for the moment, they tend to have, or a lot of them tend to have tilts or overweights towards, you know, technology and those growth types of areas. And I say that just because if we do get to or uh, in a, a more of a macro environment that starts to favor other parts of the market instead, you could find yourself in a place where all of a sudden ESG types of investments are starting to underperform um, other areas of the market. So, for instance, even this year now, there are expectations that economic growth could be quite strong. Um, people are starting to debate the issue of inflation and whether that whether or not that might start to pick up. And if that does occur, I think there are good reasons to believe that maybe you know some traditional cyclical sectors and, and other areas like that that don't really lend themselves to uh, a lot of ESG types of investments, those might start to, to take the baton and outperform for a little while. So uh, like I said, I think the biggest downside is just for people to, to kind of buckle up and, and realize that they are in this for the longer haul, that over time, these should serve them really well, but that over shorter term timeframes, you could run into periods where um, you know, there are shorter term headwinds in, in these investments. That is a lot to consider. If I'm an advisor, where do I go to get this kind of information about ESG investing? Can you guys discuss that for a minute? Because I know you're both big research gurus. Yeah, I can I can jump in here. So I think we, we already mentioned some of these. You know, if you're looking at um, any ETFs or mutual funds uh, that focus on the on, on the on the ESG space, uh, the the fund provider, either the fund provider or the uh, the index provider that builds the index uh, underlying the fund or ETF uh, will typically uh, be able to provide a lot of uh, free research explaining um, how the um, you know how the how the fund is constructed and specifically related to the ESG criteria that are being used. Uh, that should be available for free. Uh, and then we already mentioned a couple of free tools. Uh, whether it's the MSCI ESG screener or another one is Sustainalytics by Morningstar. These two actually allow you to look up individual companies and they will show you how they, um, they'll just give you a brief summary that shows how they score according to uh, different ESG metrics. These are once again, free tools. So they're, they're not going to go into the level of depth of information that uh, some professional databases may have, but it would be, um, you know, it's, it's a good start um, in terms of, you know, finding some information. Uh, and then, of course, there's, um, you know, investment professionals uh, have at their disposal, uh, you know, databases such as, um, you know, Bloomberg, uh, FactSet, DataStream, uh, all of these uh, subscription services uh, over the last few years have been building uh, more and more, uh, their ESG um, you know platform responding to um, the, the increase in demand for this type of uh, information and this type of investment. But this is something that uh, is typically available only to professional investors. Now, most of that stuff we've talked about with research and and some of the information we've talked about is sort of backward looking. It's historical. How do you guys think? ESG investing is going to evolve going forward. Is this going to take over the markets and everybody will be ESG and it won't matter? 
Is it going to be used as a differentiator? How do you see this going? Well, I don't know if it'll necessarily take over the markets, but I do think that this is kind of a, a niche area that is going to continue to grow and carve out a larger part of the of the investment landscape, if you will. And, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, I think uh, now actually is a good time for advisors to be educating yourself themselves, excuse me, about these types of investments and this type of issue overall, because even though at the moment, as Soro talked about, the demographics and the demographics in terms of uh, the, the most interest skews a little long, younger than maybe most advisors' average client. You know that is the next generation of clients that are that are going to come through. So I think it makes sense for advisors to be, like I said, getting up to speed on this now, so that they're prepared for starting to see a, a growing interest from either their own clients. Um, the the children of their existing clients who stand to inherit a lot of money potentially um, and or prospective clients going forward that might start asking more questions along these lines. Um, so, you know, this is something, like I said, that I think people will be um, it, it will it will benefit people over time to to have solutions in these area. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, clearly the, the last couple of years have shown that this is an area that seems to have some staying power assets uh, are growing rapidly, as we talked about. The number of product offerings is growing pretty substantially as well. Um, and yeah, I think ESG investing is here to stay. And it will probably only, as we've seen with other things, you'll probably only get into further evolutions of this where, where ESG makes its way into other parts of the market that it doesn't currently exist. Laura, what do you think? I would just add, um, I think over the next few years, uh, something that could be very important for the ESG space would be the development of common standards. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're currently seeing several big institutions that are involved into this effort. Uh, a good example is the European Union uh, trying to develop uh, a green bond taxonomy that would essentially uh, increase transparency and set common standards, uh, which would help limit the issue of, um, you know, so-called greenwashing. And, you know, when a company is trying to present themselves and, and as being green when they're really not, um, and that would lead to a more efficient, you know, market for these types of investments. Um, and then, you know, specifically, some of these efforts are being um, concentrated on the on the fixed income. Uh, space uh, on, on the bond front. And uh, we already talked about sustainability bonds, but I think this is an area where we're going to be seeing a lot of growth over the next uh, few years. Uh, so far, um, most of the uh, offering of ESG products has concentrated on the equity side, uh, but I think the bond side is, uh, is going to see a lot of growth going forward. And I think bonds are a really interesting vehicle as far as ESG investing is concerned, because uh, they allow you to really link uh, the a given bond with a given, you know, project project that is related to sustainability. You know, when you, when you're uh, buying stock in a company that is highly rated from an ESG perspective, uh, you really have no control uh, over um, you know how your how your money is going to be used. Uh, with bonds, um, you actually you actually do. Uh, there are these sustainability-linked bonds where um, uh, you know the um, the, um, the you know the money is being raised specifically for a certain, in order to reach uh, a, a given sustainability target, um, and, and so there that's a way to directly link the money 
with the um, you know with the project that you want to fund. Um, so, like I said, this is a more direct way to do ESG investing, and, and I think we're going to see a lot of growth in this space going forward. Wow! So it really links things directly into what the goals you have to attain. One last question, gentlemen. That's all we have time for. Carl, does Pinnacle offer an ESG option to their clients? And if so, how is it structured? How is it put together? Sure. We actually offer two different ESG-focused strategies, which uh, one is fully passive for for those investors who prefer that kind of approach. And the other is more of a hybrid, uh, active, passive approach. It's really a core and a satellite where there's an active satellite component to it. Um, and that's you know more appropriate for for folks who are interested in an element of risk management over time because the ask, the satellite part of that portfolio will move between stocks, bonds, and and cash depending on certain market conditions. Um, what's interesting is even in that portfolio, the satellite also consists of um, ESG focused investments. And you know this is something that we are really excited about. We rolled these out in about sometime around the middle of last year. Um, a lot of work had gone into it, and it was something we had considered for quite a while. But the problem for us was that we just didn't really see the depth of you know funds and ETFs that we could really use to appropriately offer a, a diversified portfolio that had a substantial amount of ESG exposure to it. Um, as we already talked about today, that that picture has changed dramatically just in the last couple of years, where all of a sudden you can find these types of investments across a variety of asset classes, including fixed income, as Sora was just talking about. Um, and so, again, and once we realized that, we said, hey, we really can put together what we would consider to be uh, almost a fully you know, ESG-focused, diversified portfolio uh, that would make a lot of sense to own you know, as essentially a core holding for folks who, who want to have exposure to these sorts of things over a longer period of time. So like I said, we're very excited about it. We, we called ours the, the CGG instead of ESG. So that stands for Clean Green Global. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, these have been out for, for not quite a year yet, but uh, we, we think that there's a lot of potential and you know, we're having a lot of conversations with people surrounding these already. That's, that's terrific. Guys, I've really enjoyed this. There were some terrific insights into this exciting new area of investing. I'm sure our advisor audience learned a lot about these vehicles and how to work with their clients to use them to achieve their goals. Thank you both for joining us today. I hope you both come back and visit us soon. Great, Dave. Thanks. Thank you, Dave. We've been speaking with Carl Noble, CIO, and Sara Locatelli, Director of Quantitative Research at Pinnacle Advisory Group. If you have any questions about how ESG investing can help your clients potentially grow their portfolio or anything else you've heard on this program, drop us a line at four advisors at pinnacleadvisory.com and we'll get you some answers as quick as we can. You've been listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such.